This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. I am doing something a little different with the podcast. I am bringing you a special 12-part series, and in the series... I sit down with three presentation and communication experts to tackle some of the biggest presentation questions we receive from our audiences. The experts are global communications expert, Monique Russell, Robert Honorado, who's a director of education and a professional speaker. And then there's Diana Howells, an award-winning speaker, best-selling author, and global virtual trainer. You can check out their bios at the end of each show, but for now, tune in and take notes. This is going to be a good one. Hello, welcome to today's episode of On the Microphone. I am Bridget McGowan, and I have with me in the studio, in the studio, yeah, I like the sound of that, in the studio, (laughs) Robert Honorado. Robert, welcome to the show. Uh, Hello, Bridget. How are you today? I am fantastic. Any day I get to talk about presentation skills is a fantastic day. And what we're going to cover today is a topic we mutually agreed upon, a question that we mutually agreed upon. What makes a presentation successful? Well, first off, here's the deal. This is one of the first things that comes to mind, Robert. And that is in a way, it depends on the type of presentation you're delivering as to what will make it successful, maybe, because there are different elements to a keynote versus a training versus mm-hmm. a breakout session versus a workshop. Those tend to be the four types of presentations. But then there are some hallmarks to a great presentation, regardless of the format. OK, it feels like I'm rambling at this point, so I'm going to stop. what would you say makes for a great presentation? Well, I think um, classifying it into those four pieces sort of, sort of picks up or starts where I would go with. And um, he talked about this before. Um, Are you delivering what, what, what the people want um, or what the person that hired you or brought you in wanted? Oftentimes they have a certain objective, even if, as I'm sure you've seen, they don't want an objective. They have to, in their mind, fill time or I have to have a keynote. So Bridget's great. So let's bring Bridget in. But you know where you're starting from. So I think that that those questions that's soliciting from the people you're working for to find out what that landing point is in their mind is the first step to a successful presentation. Because after all, you are presenting for somebody, you're doing this 
for them. So what in their mind is successful or where do they want to get? So that starts you out. And, and you can go so far as to ask that exact question. What would be a successful presentation for you? And they're not necessarily going to answer in presenter terms, if you will, in terms of, well, we want a presentation that has slides and that has blocking and choreography. And, uh, you know, they'll probably say things like, well, we want a little bit of humor. We want some engagement. We want audience interactivity, right? So just asking mm -hmm. the, the, the organizer, like what would make this a successful presentation or even asking them uh, the last time they hired someone and that person or, or not the last time they hired someone, ask them to think back to a presentation that they attended that they absolutely loved. Didn't mm -hmm. matter if it was with their company or not. It didn't matter if it was a conference, a webinar or what. Just ask them, what did that presenter do or say that you absolutely love that just made it so, so, so memorable? And that can give you an idea of what makes for a good presentation. But even sort of, even some of the logistics, as you said, is this a keynote? Is it a breakout? How many other breakouts are there going to be? Do you think this is going to be uh, 10 people or this is going to be 40 people in a breakout session? Um, the last one that I did, um, it was just some general questions and it was a keynote, but um, it, was, it was the keynote that was kicking off the conference, which is different necessary than a lunch keynote and and what he said was I, I just want something high energy exciting it's late in the afternoon and this is the first session is kicking off the conference um so that was a huge help um in terms of making it successful because I, I knew what he was going for in that sense or I knew 80 percent 75 percent of what he wanted and what he was going for um and then after that, um, to go further, to give a little more detail, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's built on that. It's not necessarily your presentation. It's delivering something. So the more you know, and, you know, I built backwards. So the more I know and then can build back from that, this is where we want to land. So how am I going to get here? And I think time is important. Is this a half an hour? Is this an hour? Um, what are we going to fill? Size, uh, again. You know, is it a keynote with 100 people or or is it 20 or 30 people? And I find that that gives a lot of direction. It kind of builds parameters what I might want to or what I can do in terms of the session. Let's talk a little bit more about size, Robert, because I know listeners are probably thinking, well, what's the difference? What does it matter if it's 20 people or if it's 100 people? Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that because... Uh, you know, a lot of people may not realize why does that why does that matter. So, with twenty people, you will be able to do some things that you cannot do with a hundred people. And with a hundred people, there are some things you can do more effectively than you could with twenty people. So, for instance, with a group of twenty people, let's say you want to have them do a think pair share or one minute paper or turn and talk. With a think pair share, and these are certainly not activities that I came up with. These are all stolen from classrooms and classroom assessment technique books and so on. With a, a think pair share, this is where you will give the audience a question, an open-ended question. You tell them to think about their answer, and then you tell them to pair with a colleague or a partner sitting next to them 
or get into groups of three and, and pair up, if you will. You can't pair up in threes, but I digress. <laughs> and then share the answers that they thought of and engage in a conversation. Now, it's a lot easier to do that in a group of 20 people. Uh, you know, it's not going to be as loud. It's easier for you to bring them back in. And the share can also extend to them not just sharing with each other in their little groups, but it can extend to sharing with the larger group, you know, maybe say, mm-hmm. hey, we've got whatever, seven groups of three or, you know, got 21 folks, seven groups mm-hmm. of three. Each one of you pick a spokesperson to take one minute to share mm-hmm. with the larger group, your big aha moment. So you can have more intimate conversations with your smaller groups than you can with your larger groups. But then with larger groups, you can kind of do some more fun things. So when it comes to the size of a presentation and what makes it great the audience engagement piece, you tend to do things a little differently in order to be effective. But I think the, for a lot of people, the fallback is, you know, in terms of engaging, they get a size in their head. It's like, okay, it's 50 is too big or 80 is too big in the sense that, okay, this is my limit. I can't engage. I I've got to, I'm doing this keynote for a hundred people. So I'm really talking to them. And there are ways to get around that. Again, you know, the prep, the, the key questions that you ask in the beginning, um, is there a runner? Can I have a runner? And by runner, I mean, is there somebody or maybe two people in the audience that can take care of those comments and get those comments from them? And, you know, even with 100 people, if you have two runners, you could do a thing, pair, share. You could stop them. You can, you can break them up. And... You know, a lot of people also want to be heard and want to talk and and will share. And then you the, the drawback is, or, or which you need to be careful with is, okay, I, I only have this amount of time, you know, because they can get carried away. You have to manage a large group where there's a lot of management in there because people start talking and start raising their hands. Then they all want to talk. They all want to share. And you can't hear from 50 people. Um, but it, it, it you'd be you wouldn't be surprised but some people might be surprised at the level of engagement if you're good at it if you care if you're careful that you can get out of a large group like that and I think they appreciate it as well and they want to share and participate so you know but that's a key question you know um the the other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to raise your hand you don't want them yelling out you know you know you're in a big room or even if you're in a hotel um, ballroom type situation, the sound gets lost and people can't hear. You know, you've got to, you can't just say, oh, this will be a great idea. And I'll have them call out. You're going to lose more than half of those people. You want to have the microphone. You need to have the runner in there. You've got to have that situation set up ahead of time. Yeah, you definitely want to think about logistics. So in talking about what is going to make for a great presentation, one, you want to think about what it is your contact wants, because that person is your client, bottom line. So asking them, what do you want your audience to know or be able to do by the time I am done? Or asking them, what have you seen in speakers past that you absolutely love and you'd love to see more of? So that's one step in making a great presentation. The next step is really understanding that audience size and understanding exactly what you can do with a small audience versus a large audience and what you can do well. So the third thing that I want to touch on is going to be logistics. And you've kind of 
gone into that area, Robert, where you want to make sure that you know who's handling what technology. You want to make sure, I know this is something that I got from when you and I worked together with that ed tech company. Uh, it was a lovely, lovely uh, practice that I got from our colleague Maggie. And I'm sure she probably got it from someone else herself, but it was sending that check-in email. So first sending the confirmation email saying, hey, uh, thank you so much. Looking forward to this opportunity. I will prepare a 60-minute keynote on XYZ topic to be presented XYZ date, such and such time, such and such street, city, state, country, right? I'm preparing for X number of attendees. I will bring my own laptop and my adapters. Uh, thank you for providing an, a, a, a projector and a clicker, whatever, like just spelling out all of the logistics. And then about a week before, no less than six or seven days before, sending that email again, just saying, hey, checking in again, letting you know the exact same thing, time, location, date, attendees, who's responsible for what. Now back to the logistics piece. Uh, well, and then saying that you're, you're going to arrive an hour early or 45 minutes early and who's your AV contact and making sure <laughs> that you can gain access to the room. And that so you can see how the room step. is set up. Yeah. I, getting on the chat, plugging in your presentation, plugging in your clicker, using their clicker. If it's at all possible, you want, you want to get on, you want to run through the tech, you want to plug the microphone in you want to go through all of that. Now, occasionally, occasionally that's impossible, but you want to push for it. You don't, if, if your client happens to say, oh, everything is fine or everything will be whatever, um, it won't be, you know, none of this will be a problem. We do this all the time. Something can't, someday will go wrong. You can't, you can't, um, you can't go wrong running, through the stuff, plugging in the stuff, trying your video. If you have a video in the PowerPoint, you think, okay, well, I did this four times. I did this presentation in five different places. The video always works. You don't know what their internet connection is in that hotel. I used to do some presentations. I used to do New York City. And surprisingly enough, you would think, you know, the media communications capital of the world. If you're in the basement somewhere in New York City and you're underneath all that concrete, sometimes you'd have a problem with the internet connection in New York City. You know, you, you, you never know. Robert, I was in Georgia. Forget about NYC. I'm in Georgia, okay, south of Atlanta. And I was working with a group where this was their thing. They put on events. This is what they did. They understood clickers and adapters and connectors and laptops and Wi-Fi. They understood it. They did this day in, day out in their sleep. It was just, it, and we, we spoke each other's language. Like we totally got it. When I told them I was going to show up an hour early, perfect, wonderful. Like that, that didn't throw them off. They were happy because they knew I was coming to check my tech. I mean, they're ready. And we still had problems. We still had problems. That happened to me with a webinar one time. We, and listeners, if you ever do a webinar, same rules apply. Have what I call a tech check at least one week before. And I tell people when we sign on and we confirm a webinar, I must have a tech check that happens at least one week before. Because Zoom is different from GoToMeeting, is different from GoToWebinar, is different from name whatever platform, just 
put it in the blank. There's so many of them out there. And so we have a tech check. I did this one time with a client, had the tech check. Everything was gorgeous, fine, lovely. We still got on about, eh, we'll say maybe 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes before the session started. Everything looked great and everything. It's time for me to get started. And, and we practiced uh, uh, passing the ball, if you will, uh, mm -hmm giving me privileges or whatever it was beforehand. Everything was fine, able to pull up my slides. We're, we're good to go. I'm here to tell you, we got that webinar started and my slides would not show. And so. <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. <laughs> at the time it wasn't, right? <laughs> well, what, well, here's what I did. Here's what I did, Robert. I, uh, as we, you know, tried to figure out what was going on. I just took questions from the audience. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what the topic was. We'll say the topic was, I don't know, active learning, which it wasn't, but I'm throwing it out there. So I said, hey, as we get the tech situation fixed, uh, put in the chat what questions you have about active learning. Do you have questions about what it is? What's the point? How do you do it? What questions do you have about, you know, X? X being the topic that I'm presenting on. And yes, I was putting myself out there and as we figured out the tech, I answered those questions. And, you know, after about, you know, maybe five or six questions, we were good to go. But still do the checking, check, 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 and check some more. But then at the same time, be comfortable enough, if there is some kind of a hiccup or whatever, be comfortable enough. And maybe this is point number four, what makes a great presentation is being comfortable enough to shift gears and still make it a quality experience, even if the technology isn't working quite right for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, um, yeah, Yeah. no, I think so. Um, but again, when you're just starting out, that's a little bit more difficult. Some of that comes with experience, but you know, try and try not to panic, try to be more comfortable with it, prepare as much as you possibly can in all those respects and then um be flexible go with it as much as you can still deliver like you said um let's say it was active learning so all right let's let let's punt here let me take questions so that way i get some information out um you know probably the best thing or or good thing in in your receivers or the people that are listening your listeners is a lot of them have done presentations a lot of them are nervous they understand if you don't panic if you don't shut down if you don't just stop if you still go forward in some way shape or form they'll they'll be all right with that um i mean they understand and you're still delivering something instead of 60 minutes you delivered 50 minutes or 55 minutes of it with 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 the information that you gave about active learning and whatnot it still went forward in in the best way that she can and you know what robert like you said if you're just starting out with making presentations this idea of oh do what bridget does and just take random questions that can be a challenge so this is why you prepare yeah. and have one or two activities that meaningful activities that you can engage the audience in case there is some kind of a misstep and you need to shift gears have a couple of 
again, I mentioned the one minute paper or the one minute conversation mm -hmm. or the think pair share, look those up. I mean, one minute paper is ask an open-ended question, give the audience one minute to answer it uh, or write it, write it down rather. That's the one minute paper, the one minute conversation, same thing, except they're turning to a neighbor and they're conversing about their answers to the question, but have like, just have a couple of things that are ready. It's kind of like when you have a baby, you have that diaper bag and you know, you are ready. I mean, you've got the diapers, you know, you've got the bottle, you've got a toy, you've got a chew thing. <laughs> yes, I am a mom. I know I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but our son is uh, nearly nine at this point. So we're far removed from bottles and such, but you, you just have that, that toolkit with you and you can pull out, you know, a, a couple of different options to move things along. Mm -hmm. And also don't forget, they don't know everything you were going to cover. So they don't know necessarily what was left out. You're counting down, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this last thing, or I'm not going to be able to get this one in, or you had this great activity that just is not quite going to work. They have no idea that you cut this thing or you left something out. If you go mm -hmm. forward, you can shift gears. Um, and, and do a good job with the rest of it, you're, you're pretty much fine. And I had said it before, don't, don't get up there. This is a pet peeve. People say this all the time. You know, something goes wrong and they're missing 10 minutes. I'm really sorry. I'm not going to have time to do this activity that I really love. That is the last thing you say. They have no idea what was going to happen. You just Go straight forward and give them the best shot that you had. Anyway, don't tell them all the wonderful things that you just had to cut out or what didn't work. Uh, they'll, they won't know that. Very good point. Very good point. That's a big pet peeve of mine as well. I have a number of presentation pet peeves. I know you can't read this slide. That one is at the very top or this, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. <laughs> I, I could go on and yep. on with so many things that you shouldn't say. I think I recently blogged about, you know, four or five things you shouldn't say. I think I have a list of maybe 20, but I try to give it to people in, in small doses. Here's something else. Number five, here's something else that makes for a great presentation. And that is making sure that you create aha moments in some kind of way, making sure you have the audience nodding their heads, smiling, thinking, Make sure you're moving them. You're moving them affectively, behaviorally, or cognitively. You can use the letters A, B, C. Move them affectively where you have their emotions. They're all in their feels, right? Where you have them getting sad, getting angry, getting happy, getting excited. And then you move I them. Am, um, I am a big believer in uh, surprise. <laughs> yes. I, I don't want to I don't I don't want to tell you everything that's coming. I don't want you to know everything that I'm gonna do. So Affective. I know that it's good form to have an agenda. I do have an agenda. I start out with an agenda. My agenda is very vague. I'm not gonna explain to you every single thing we're doing. I'm not gonna have sentences on my agenda. If I could, I'll do one word or a couple of words in each bullet point, and I'll have three, four items on my agenda, just so those people that need to have an agenda, you know, there's some people out there that need to start that way. So I do. I'm, I'm <laughs> one of those. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm one of those kind of people. I'm catching right. the shade, Robert. I'm one of them. <laughs> so I'll do an agenda. I'll have that out there because I want that person to feel good. I want you to feel okay. <laughs> 
I don't want you to start out. What don't is do it what to make me feel good. Don't do it to make me feel good. <laughs> no, but you know, some people say, well, there's no, they, they just get that in there. There's no agenda. What's the matter with him? Doesn't he know there should be an agenda up there? So I'll put it up. But I, I, I'd like to give you an, a couple of aha moments over the course of the hour. So um, I don't I don't feel you've got to put everything on the agenda. It's fine. It's fine. And that's helpful and, and that's effective to have them guessing every once in a while and to be caught off guard. I feel like we need to do an episode just about agendas because, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and, and I... I agree with you on, on some points there. So with that agenda, yes, you can leave some room, some element of surprise is baked in there. You don't necessarily want to give away the entire farm. With my agenda, I'm going to give you the three to five things that we're going to cover. Now, I'm not going to sit here and give you all these sub bullets and sub points and outlines mm -hmm. and everything. But here are the five things you're going to walk away from this session. Now let's dive in. We might cover, you know, five things, but each one of those five things has kind of three sub things. Mm -hmm. So now we're covering 15 things. So I hear you on the agenda and I, listen, I am going to be the agenda spokesperson of the world. Every meeting, every presentation needs an agenda. I need to know how you're going to spend my time. But back <laughs> to the aha. So Robert likes to surprise you with an agenda that doesn't give away all of his uh, good, good ideas. So back to what I was saying so someone cut me off you move them effectively <laughs> mm -hmm. right where you get them emotional in a good way you move them behaviorally meaning you want them to change something that they're doing I mean that's kind of the part of presentations I don't care if it's what kind it is whether it's in person whether it's online whether it's keynote whether it's a breakout the point is to change people so that they're doing something differently mm -hmm. either they're doing something differently or you want to move them cognitively where they're thinking differently. So that's how you create those aha moments. That's what a great presentation does. Again, remember ABC, effectively, behaviorally, cognitively. Move them in one of those three ways. And if you can move them all of those three ways, you're a rock star. I mean, that's not half bad. Anything else? We've got, we've got five. I think those are pretty good for making a great presentation. I was going to say, those are pretty good. I, uh, I'm not sure what else we would add to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that that does it. So make sure you understand exactly what the charge is. What's the expectation from the contact from the audience, even asking, I don't know if we said this, Robert, when we were talking about our first point about getting the expectations from your point of contact, but asking them, what does your audience love? You know how they respond, right? Remember when we used to, well, well I mean, yeah, oh, I see the look on your face. So this means you don't necessarily agree with me. What? No, I do. I was just thinking what I wanted to say. Oh, the, okay. Good point. Well, well, yeah, let me throw this out there like for two seconds. It's kind of it's kind of irrelevant, but kind of relevant. It came to mind. So when you and I worked at that ed tech company, we did a lot of presentations with faculty members. And what uh, sales reps would tell us all the time, faculty members love food. So that didn't necessarily play into the presentation. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it did play into how I planned my presentations. Robert, I would specifically tell people, do not schedule me for first thing in the morning. Do not schedule me for 12 o'clock. Schedule me maybe around 9, 10 o'clock or something like that or around one, two o'clock. Don't schedule me at a time when people are looking for food because I don't feel like sitting up here juggling sandwiches and croissants and parfaits while I'm sitting up here trying to do a presentation. People are more interested in the fruit platter than they are in my presentation. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, seriously, that was how I approached it. I did not want to have to deal with food. But back to the original point. Find out from the point of contact, what does the audience love? Like, what has resonated with them? What kind of material, what kind of speakers have they absolutely loved? And that's helpful in creating a great presentation. Well, you know, I've also, uh, especially in workshop sessions, but you can actually kind of use this wherever. Now, I don't know if this is good for people that are first starting out, because again, you got to be flexible. You can ask the audience what they expect. You know, you, you know, what, what, what do you expect to get out of this session? What do you expect to get out of this today? Now, I say it may not be for beginners because you, this is one of these places where you're kind of flying without a net because you're getting a bunch of answers back. And if it's nothing, that's almost better than, than well, I just showed up here because I had to or I wanted to get out of work. Okay, all right, fine. <laughs> what can be a problem is, if they have expectations and want one thing from this hour and you weren't covering that or you weren't going there, you got to not let it fluster you or ruffle your feathers and sort of sort of try and bring them back in. Um, the good part of that is they get to participate very right from the beginning. They get to participate. It gives you a lot of information from the actual crowd, not the client but from the crowd. Is there something in particular that three or four or five of them all expect to get? Then, okay, then maybe we wanna hit that or try and include that or touch on that in some way. But Robert, here's the deal. I love that idea because that I, that's my jam. Getting the audience involved, finding out what do they want, what do they need, what are they looking for? However, it doesn't help with designing your presentation. But well, it yeah, does help right. with delivering. It does help with delivering a great presentation. I just want to clarify that for listeners because I know some listeners are probably like, "Well, yeah, that's nice," but that information I can't use in designing my presentation. In a way, but you can ask your contact person if you can survey a few people who will be in the audience mm -hmm. beforehand. But I hear what you're saying because it covers. It checks a couple of boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I like to just, you know, live dangerously like that and, and, and go there. That's why I do say you, you, I wouldn't just, you know, if you like the idea and you haven't done a lot of presentations, you, you still might not want to use it quite yet. Cause, cause it could throw you a curveball. You got to be okay. Um, and you're ready to, to, to fly with that. Uh, Robert, or, you deflect it or deflect it in a very positive, good way. Robert, you do know people are laughing at us using the words live dangerously in the context of making presentations. I guess so. But after <laughs> after five, six, seven years uh, of doing presentations, I kind of, you know, I, I wanted I wanted to push it a little bit and 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 live dangerously for lack of a 
better word. Not to, not to, not that I would think that they would go wrong, and not that I would want to deliver a bad presentation, but um, to make it more interesting for me. I love it. Ways. I love it. All right. Uh, so you've got five great ways to deliver a great presentation. We're going to leave it at that. You crack me up, Robert. All right. I am Bridget McGowan, Robert Honorado. Thanks again for being on the show to our listeners. Thank you for being awesome. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone. Soon after graduating from the University of Connecticut with a degree in marketing, Robert Honorado began an academic career as an adjunct business professor, then moved into academic administration and spent 15 years working as a college administrator in New York State. In time, he returned to the classroom teaching leadership and business courses at Fordham University, where he still teaches today. Robert eventually began a public speaking career by delivering presentations, workshops, and addresses at educational and business conferences. These sessions turned into a full-time career when he was hired as a senior professional educator by a major textbook publisher. Robert held this position for more than seven years before returning to the academic world, where he held positions of dean and director of online education at several institutions. Robert is presently the Director of Education at Lincoln Technical Institute in Connecticut. He has earned an MBA from the University of Connecticut and has authored and contributed to several academic and professional books and publications. 